This podcast is proud to be part of the TalkSport Fan Network. TalkSport. Powered by fans. And there it is. That's as good as it gets on this stage. Nissan Townstar EV strikes again. It's an unstoppable van. Unstoppable. Look, just fantastic. You can actually see the ProPilot technology in action. Effortless parallel parking. It moves with all the confidence that comes with a five-year warranty. And with a bench full of all-star van experts, there's real strength in depth here. That's all-star quality. Search Nissan Townstar EV and visit your local all-star van centre to see for yourself. Terms and conditions apply. Five years or 100,000 miles, whichever comes first. ProPilot is an advanced driver assist technology. Driver's responsibility to stay alert, drive safely and control vehicle at all times. The TalkSport Fan Network is proudly supported by McDelivery, bringing you the food you love. McDelivery brings a top-tier lineup of food right to your door. No matter the results, you'll always be winning with McDelivery. Order now on the McDonald's app and you'll get rewards points delivered too. So that ordering today means some tasty rewards for tomorrow. Only via app at participating restaurants. 18 plus rewards registration required. Points only on menu items, delivery fee and terms apply. See mcdonalds.com. This is the besotted pride of West London podcast. And we're coming to you from the venue that we go to a lot. It's, it, listen, we're moving to a new stadium next August. We're in the summer even. And uh, we thought, listen, there's a pub very, very near to that stadium. Lionel Road, which we're going to in August. So one over the eight is where we love to come to. Just by the river, a wicked little pub that take very, very good care of you. They've got all sorts of uh, relaxing music in the background if you're feeling a little bit grouchy after losing away from home the previous Saturday. And my name's Billy Grant, and I'm sitting here in the boozer with my chums, my buddies here, um, listening to Orinoco Flow, and we're not. Fail away, fail away, fail away. We, 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 we lose away, lose away, lose away, apparently. So anyway, like I said to you, I'm enjoying myself now. I've got a bit of a smile on my face. It's taken me about four days to actually get a smile on my face after the game on Saturday because I was a little bit upset after that, as you probably heard on the post-match podcast. But we'll come to that a little bit later. I'm sitting around here with my chums. So I've got to go the other way around. To the right of me, I've got GP Gary Paul. How are you doing? Yeah, good day, sir. How are you? I'm all right, man. Not too bad, actually. Uh, listen, Saturday, I mean, you were missing in action, I know, but you were you were there in spirit. Well, I definitely consumed some spirits after when I, um, as I watched um, Soccer Saturday and heard the reports from the ground and saw the besotted tweets from the game. Indeed, you know, but listen, we'll move on from that. We'll talk about that a little bit later, Gary. I've got the, uh, the Allard as well. Um, I haven't seen you since you departed on the train to crew on Saturday. I mean, you, you obviously got lost, did you? Yeah, I made, yeah, I did um, go via crew coming home, all in the spirit of trying to um, cheap trains and all of that. Booked at the last minute, bad planning on my behalf. Um, but yep, yeah, made it back safely. Um, not that I shouldn't make it back safely from crew, not, you know, no suggestions there. Um, and um, yeah, woke up Sunday uh, with a bit of a hangover. Um, yes, that was my weekend. And I've got the Laney man, Laney in the house. How are you? I mean, I, I left you at sort of your, it was Euston Station, is it? You were off in one direction and I was off in the other. I was, I was on a bit of a struggle, actually. No, I'm all right. I'm all right. Yeah, bounce back ability. Um, yeah, I, I felt all right Sunday. 
Um, I've yeah, I've, I've had a I've had a good start to the week. Uh, I just I just yeah, I'm still a little bit kind of um, scratching my head about what what's happened to us after the international break. So yeah, we, uh, hopefully we'll have a we'll have a, an interesting chinwag tonight. Mate. We'll have a, definitely have an interesting chinwag and talking about to what happened after the international break. So we'll go back to Saturday. I mean, for me, I'm just harking back to Preston trip. I know people that listen to this podcast all the time and they get really bored of us saying how we love going to Preston and you probably get confused as to why we love going to Preston. We met a lot of people up there and, and some of the people that we met in the pubs and said hello to us and said they listened to the podcast. We're going to give you a shout out. Um, we'll count out your name, but we, uh, we can't remember because <laughs> it was quite late in the day. But you were really nice and really kind. You had a good old conversation. We told you oh, to. In the well. Yeah, the well that's pub. right. In the oh, well yeah, pub. Yeah, that's yeah, right. Yeah. And he said, listen, just DM us if you ever want to come on the podcast and we can have a good old chat here as well. But. Yeah. But um, listen, it was Preston. Always a good trip. It's got some really interesting sites. We saw some really, really interesting sites. I mean, I was going to go around the table here, you know, and even GP can take, you know, because obviously he did it virtually. You know, what was sort of the kind of the best part of the day for you? And also, what was the kind of strangest part of the day for you, Laney? Um, the best part of the day was meeting the, the Preston lads uh, and also that chocolate stout in, in, that, in that pub towards the end, which was incredible. Um, and just about making the train out of there. That was a massive relief because I thought for one minute we'd missed it. And to, to miss a train back from Preston after a, after a 2 0 defeat, that would have been pretty much. I'm not sure I could have taken that. It was the last train. It was the last train home as well, yeah. So not, not great. I, I think it might have been one of those how I felt after losing five at Norwich moments. Yes, so so and and the Allard as well. I mean, what was your sort of best moment? You know, what was your sort of most sort of strangest moment? I don't know if it, I don't know if it's strange, but um, the, the the bar we went to that um, did the chocolate stout. It was a bar we went to later. We've often been to the Millbrook before, which is a good a good pub, but it didn't didn't deliver on the stout front, so we had to sniff out. Some dark peers elsewhere, and um, we went. So we went to this bar, and we had we, we'd been shown it earlier by the Preston lads, and I've, I forget its name, um, but however, it had a cellar, and um, and it was an old gin distillery, an illegal gin distillery from back in the day, many many years ago, and I, I assume the concept was so they didn't have to bring the water in from outside, so everybody could you know would wonder what the fuck they do with all that water. They'd actually dug a well in the cellar, and since they've re- um, revamped this bar. They, um, they found the old well and they've now got it sort of cleared out again so you're, you're in the bar it's obviously got some glass across it so there's no, you know, no, no chance of anyone falling down it or anything but you can look down at this well as you're having your beer or, or, or you could have a gin I guess um, and um, yeah that was a really cool little find that, that was um, yeah and, and it's always something new to find when we go to Preston I think we've seen most of it by now I think we've seen every pub in Preston haven't we this, but this was a new one yeah it, yeah, it was and, and, the, and the interesting thing it, it was actually a working well so you could actually see the water sort of flowing down on it and sort of like some people who went there they Oh my god, because they, they didn't realize a glass on top of it, so they thought they're actually going to fall down the well. And also, the pub because it was in a cellar and there's also like little caverns inside it, and it was really buzzing afterwards. I was really surprised because it was only like about six o'clock, and we walked down there and it's like really full, really buzzing, you know. Um, and, and, and for me, I, that was a bit of a moment because to find a new place in Preston, it's called the Plow P L A U, was the name of the place. Yeah, it was described as it's the kind of place you take someone else's wife. 
that's why that's, that's what the press that's what the Preston lads said to us. So if you listen out there, John and John and then the Astley and then the Whisker, Bill Whisker and all your characters apparently that is what you said. So the plough if you ever go to Preston, you must not go there you must you, you go there with, with whoever you want to. That's all I'm gonna to say to you. I'm not going to um, for me, um, I, I, I still like going to the Moorbrook and I love the fact that they've got this barbecue. So you walk inside the Moorbrook and they've got the barbecue there and the gardens will fall and if you look on the besotted Twitter and also the tweet that I put out you saw the photograph that we took in the garden with the Brentford and the Preston together there's probably about 60 or 60 or 70 people inside the garden the you know we properly had the weather for it it was really 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 good um, day and we'd, we'd obviously done about six bars before we actually got to that pub but everyone's really friendly they remember us from beforehand also remember the arm wrestle that's right. There was a bit of an arm wrestle between um, Bill Whisker as well from uh, Profound Valley as well, and uh, and 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 John. and John as well from the uh, the Preston Seediers as they're called, you know. And yeah, they, I don't know if there's a little bit of beef going on, but they decided to take yeah, it out. Yeah, they decided decided to take it on on, on 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 a bit of an arm wrestle, like you know. So that was a bit bizarre. I did, I did actually quite like that. They call themselves the Preston Seniors, and they're probably like it's anyone above forty five really. <laughs> and I think it's like it's obviously a bit tongue in cheek, but I think like the Brentford. Seniors could be, you know, because we're not we're not youth, and you know, so see they, you know, we're considered old farts. So yeah, maybe we ought to start the Brentford Seniors. That's right. So I mean, so that was really good. The Moorbrook, and if you've never been to Preston, just that's one pub that you just got to go to. They're really good and really, really friendly. But on the flip side, as they said to us, they they messaged us and said to us it was like the sublime to the ridiculous. So you know, the plough was like the sublime, and then the ridiculous. We went to this pub, which is called I think it's called the Railway Inn, and uh, to say that there was characters aplenty in there, it was definitely full of characters. It was just one of these places that you'd see, you know. In, in a film, in a, in, 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 in a series, you know, really, really, really friendly characters. It was very, very Preston, very, very Northern. And, and, Everyone and, greeted us. They yeah. put thumbs up, slapped us. Really happy that we should come oh, there. They slapped us. They would have done back in the day. <laughs> you know, it was it was like they were queuing up to chat to us in in 2019. In uh, 1985, they would have been queuing up to punch us. I think. <laughs> 1995, I think as well. Yeah, look. No, I just um, yeah. Was that was that where we ended up? That was the pub nearest the railway. I suppose that's why it's called the railway inn. No, no. This is the one that we ended up um, about three or four, you know, four in when there was the the, the Northern Soul sign. Right, okay, and that was the point I was about to make. It's nowhere near the railway, then, is it? Yeah, because yeah, it's nowhere near the railway. The railway, nowhere near the railway. It's nowhere. It is. It's all over the place. But listen, we sound like the Preston, <laughs> the Preston Tourist Board here. You know, uh, next season when we play them again, because uh, uh, they said to us as well, you hey, you ain't going anywhere. You'll be playing us again next season. We ain't going anywhere. So if you do that, just just tick it off and come down there and join us for a few beers. But look, that was the happy side of the Preston. But we need to hark back to something which was a little bit less happy. The match itself, and uh, like I said to you, we've been recovering from this game for a few days and had to sort of kind of stop reading any sort of newspapers or, you know, newspapers or online or think about that because uh, that, that game really did actually affect us. It was, I don't know, we don't know why it was. I don't know if it's because we were so good against Derby that when we played Preston and then we were so not good that we just thought, oh no, all the things that we thought we were, we're not that anymore and we started to kind of really panic. If you listen back to the radio show on Monday, the Pride of West dot London, that was me and then the, um, the XG Dave and also it was the Robin Hood and we went back, we talked to the, you know, listened to the fans after the game that was a depressing listen but it was also an interesting listen to all the views, some really interesting views and Matt Beadle 
from Love Sport, when he listened to that, he goes, oh my God, you know, this is ama- I mean, it's amazing that you've got all this really varied views from fans. And he goes, and what I picked up from that is that, you know, you guys are not sure about, you know, the team, whether or not it's good as it is before. You're not sure about the formation. You're not sure if they've got the right play. You know. And he picked up all these things from, from, from people's views from behind the game. And we just come back onto this again now and we're just sort of thinking, listen, playing away from home, it's not been much fun, has it, Laney? No, it, it hasn't. Um, you know, if you take, you know, we always say, you know, keep football out of football because football ruins the day on an away game too often. But we shouldn't be saying this. You know, we, we've been, although the championships, are, you know, it's a very, very strong division. Let's not underestimate, you know, there's, there's no one in this division that doesn't deserve to be there. And there, there's quality that runs from top to pretty much bottom. So, you know, we are playing at a very, very high standard. However, if you're here, we should be playing better away. We, our results away from home. So three wins in 18 months away from home. I mean, there's been a lot of unluckiness in there. There's been a lot of... of Change. There's been a lot of kind of development, all that kind of stuff. So, yeah, is, not, that, is that accept, you know is it acceptable? It's not been a, it's not been like a perfectly stable. We're not comparing one season with the other. You know, we started the beginning of last season with Dean Smith as manager, and we have we have one set up. Then you know, midway through, we, we changed our manager, and you know, we're this this is the this is the second second. This is like the first full season that Thomas Frank's had. So. But we had a lot of talk in the close season about how how we realised that the away form needed to be addressed, how we were going to st- attempt to set ourselves up differently away from home to be able to combat our, our frailties, and it, it's not it's not transpired so far. You know, we we have we've had a win at Middlesbrough, and that's not that's not knock how difficult that was to achieve. But you know, we we've had some games away from home where we we should have we should have got more out of already, and it seems to be Groundhog Day. And I had a phone call on Sunday from I won't name the person. He's a he's a you know he's a, a, a fan that's been going home and away for like 60 years, and um, you know he's not missed a game for four years I don't think. And he said to me, Dave, you know, he said. Um, what the hell is going on? He said, like, I haven't missed a game for four years. He said, I'm not sure I can face it for the, for, for, for the next couple. He said, you know, when... Face what? Sorry, face... We're just, like, going... Go, going. He said, like, Saturday cost me 150 quid. So, you know, it's... It, it, he he's, talking about, he's talking about away games, though. Yeah, absolutely, away games, yeah. He, he, he can't face travelling up and down the country um, for a paltry two away wins in a season or three away wins in a season or three away wins in 18 months so but you know that that's obviously on pers- on a personal level you know value for money everyone's got a right to kind of say well it's not worth it for me you know I've spent too much money I can't afford it or I, I'd rather do something else on my Saturday but the the you know for someone for a club that is so stats driven to have three away wins Four, if you take Bolton that we didn't actually play, but three away wins in 18 months, it tells a story that something is far from perfect uh, away from Griffin Park, and and it, you know, surely it needs to be addressed. The Allard, I'm going to just ask you this question because, interestingly, you know, pretty much a year ago today we started to go on this bit of a stinky run as we call it. It was proper stinky. It was Thomas Frank took over a few weeks from now, and then we couldn't win a white game for love nor money until 
December, the end of December, when we changed it to three at the back. And then all of a sudden we went three at the back and, you know, we talked about this a lot on the radio show, but we just talked about three at the back. We didn't talk about this as such. We went three at the back and all of a sudden it seems to solve a lot of our problems. We, we played quite a few fantastic games. We played absolutely phenomenal, brilliant games of football. We went three at the back um, with Janvier, with uh, Konza and, and, and Barbe. Okay, so we had three players at the back. Now we've come close season, sold a lot of players. We've got a new three at the back now, interesting. We've got a whole new team. And all of a sudden, we seem to have the same sort of problem. Do you think that there may be a translation problem? Because it seemed to have taken about 10 games to kind of basically tell the players, this is how we're going to need to play like that. And all of a sudden, we've got a whole new players, and we're trying, we've got the same sort of issues. So do you think that there's that issue? No, but we, <clears throat> we started winning soon after we switched to three at the back. We didn't play three at the back all through that losing period under Thomas Frank. You know, it came quite naturally. Um, and um, I think we'll go on to... You know, tonight we'll hope, I think we'll get into this in more detail. But I think there's a good argument that says that the system of playing three at the back and um, and you know three four three effectively um, suited a number of players, and um, three of them I can think straight off aren't at the club anymore. And it's three players that, that, that the system you know probably did suit. Uh, Barbe I think was exceptional as on the left hand side of the three. Konza I think was good on the right hand side of the three and a little you know for, for a younger player coming up it meant he um meant he could share some of the responsibilities a bit um and then also Sawyers came into his own because he came back into came he came deeper you know into the midfield because he was playing in front of the holding midfield net midfielder you jettison that when you go to three at the back more or less so you know Sawyers was playing as one of two in midfield and it suddenly seemed to, everything seemed to, you know, really finally all come together for Sawyers. Not that he was playing badly, a lot of us thought he was a great player before that, but that was when he really started to excel. So, you know, you, there's an argument, we've taken those three out and we're trying to play, still play the same system. Um, and we're, you know, we're moving sort of players around and stuff like that. And, and maybe that's part of the problem, is that actually the players we've brought in aren't suited to playing three at the back. I mean, Gary, listen... Preston, we lost away again, right? We're looking forward in a couple of weeks' time to go to Nottingham Forest. I mean, how do you see things changing for Brentford? I mean, we're going to talk about the squad and all that in a little bit, but I'm just thinking to you, hasn't the situation got you a little bit down? I know you're a little bit flummoxed as to how we can get out of this. Yeah, a little bit flummoxed, but and also you're always searching for the reason why. And you'd almost say, why did we put in that performance at um, Preston? Um, I mean, one thing. Could, could we have? Could we could have just had an off day, maybe? Well, that's what I'm thinking because I, we have had this before, where we've had a bit of a dodgy run. We've then maybe won a game and maybe won two games. Then we've got an international break and everybody's gone off to play in Nagorno Karabakh or wherever it is, and then they've all come back, and then we've almost reverted back to what we were doing three games earlier. And I, I, I did. You know, it did worry me that we had the international break after having such a good game against Derby and rather than us the next week kicking on, everybody's gone off to play all over the world and then they've come back sort of midway, midway through last week and did we just, you know, maybe that performance wouldn't have happened had we have had a complete seven days with everybody at the club training. I mean, it's, really, it's really difficult without being a fly on the wall in the dressing room, you know. But the, I have seen it mentioned that you, you, you know, there are people questioning whether Thomas Frank fires the team up. 
before he goes out um, for these away games. You know, maybe he does. Uh, I'm not saying he does or he doesn't. There's no way of me knowing. But at home, may, uh, you know, you could argue the fact that the crowd fires the players up because you've got you've got all the you've got all the fans there in a, in a very tight stadium, and the players know what's expected of them. And away from home, maybe maybe the maybe the, it's, they haven't got that sense of urgency. I, I, it, it's it's hard to argue, but this that the, the abilities there, we we see it every almost every home game. We are a very attractive, very dangerous team. We're not, we're not looking that away from home a lot of the time. I mean, Brentford like to do things differently, and as you can see, and there's a, um, a really nice, um, say nice, I hate using the word nice, but a really, really cool and respectful thing they're doing on Saturday. I'm just flipping the script a little bit here. You know, there's a young Sikh kid, young girl, and she's playing in the park, and these teenagers said to her, no, you can't play with us because you're a terrorist. And uh, she was really gutted about it. She's heartbroken. Only 10 years old she was as well. Months and months. Brentford said, listen... We've heard about this. You've got to come down to Griffin Park on Saturday against Stoke. So her and her family are down there as a VIP on Saturday. Basically, kick racism out of football. We talk about kicking football out of football as a bit of a joke, but there's more important kick racism out of football. And it's nice when you see these things out there, putting your head above the parapet and showing people that we're not going to be dealing with this kind of nonsense. So that's a little bit of a side issue there, but I'm just highlighting the fact that Brentford go a little bit left field sometimes doing their things, and sometimes they should be doing some left field things when it comes back to maybe trying to invigorate the players in the dressing room. Maybe, if you're talking about the lack of firing up, maybe what he wants to do is that every week they pick sort of ten fans or five fans to come into the dressing room ten minutes before the kickoff to actually fire up the players, you know what I'm saying, and actually kind of give them a little bit of a kind of, come away at Brentford, this is what it's all about, you know, do you remember back in 1972 when we played Hull? And, um, you know, I'm just using that as one example, but, um, Gary. (laughs) Gary. Yeah, I mean, going back to Dave's point about, um, you know, Thomas Frank, I think if that was a big issue, um, if Thomas Frank team talks were a big issue, oh, home or away, it, it would be, you'd see that problem at home as well. Um, I don't honestly, I, I think if he wasn't, you know, if he wasn't good enough at home, fans are only going to um, affect you so much. If you go out and you're, um, if you go out after a bad team, talk, you're unprepared. Just, just as uh, as an aside, you talk about taking fans into the dressing room. Um, Martin Allen actually took my mate and his daughter into the dressing room for before a game and introduced them to the players and told the players, "This is who you're going out fighting for in the game this afternoon." Well, there you go. I mean, you know, you just throw that into the pot. You know, maybe that might be an idea that Brentford wants to do, just to flip things up a little bit, you know, and film it and put it out there, get a little bit of social media, get all the fans going, thinking actually we could be a part of this victory. But anyway, listen, we've got loads more things to talk about now. We're going to talk about the Brentford squad, our £30 million squad that we're putting out there. We talked about our bling-bling squad. It's a little bit of a tongue-in-cheek thing that we say, but we're going to have a conversation about Brentford's the 30 million pound squad that we've got in there to see where they're going to be taking us over the next 12 months or so so Brentford squad I mean ironically actually we're sitting here in the run over the eight pub taking really good care of us and in the background you've got the um what earth in the fire he never gives the ball away and we're sitting down there thinking right who in this squad never gives the ball away maybe we should talk about that that's right there's no Josh McEachern so you can't blame him anymore Um, who is I don't know listen we're just going to trawl through this I mean look Brentford 
check it out prideofwest.london 8 till 9 o'clock Love Sport Radio we had a good conversation on Monday about the Brentford squad our bling bling our £30 million squad we've spent more money than we've ever spent on players does that mean because you've spent more money that you've got a better squad have you got a better squad question mark I mean we still out there we don't know yet it's only seven games in you know, but it's interesting because one of the members actually said to me, mm, I'm not quite sure this squad's better than the squad from last season or even the season before, which obviously throws the old cat amongst the pigeons, as it is. And we thought, tell you something, actually, you know, this is a really good point here because, you know, just because you spent more money, because forget about the fact that we got £60 million in, the fact is that we have spent £30 million, OK? You can't. You can't forget about the fact that you got £60 million in because you have to look at the net loss. The net loss is £35 million worth of players. You can't ignore that. No, but no, you, but no, but yes, you, no, you can't. But yes you, yes, you can. In this case, you can. And the reason why, I, I understand what you're saying, but all you're doing is that if you buy a player, I'm just saying, you buy a player for a million pounds, a million and a half pounds, as you did for Malpay. And then you buy a player for £10 million. Is that £10 million player better than the one you bought for £1.5 million? The £10 million player is, but the £1.5 million player you sold for what? But no, it doesn't matter. What, what, forget about what they said. Everyone's getting hung up on how much you sell them for. I'm just talking about at this moment in time, you know, you buy. Because we, we could have gone out and bought a player for okay. 50p. Right, but that player may still be a fantastic player. So what I'm trying to say to you is that prices only becomes relevant as to how much somebody's going to pay for it, really, as opposed yeah. to the, as opposed to the value of their player. So you could you could have a player, you can have you know one of your favorite, lovely one of your Portsmouth players that you know that you want to that you want to talk about. You say that Portsmouth are really terrible at the moment, but if somebody goes and pays ten wants to pay ten million pounds for him, he becomes a ten million pound player, whether or not he's worth that money or not. Is that right? Yeah, that is right. Yeah, but. Um so okay, so I agree. Yes, if you buy more pay at one point five million, and you buy Pontus Janssen at, um, I mean, different, different. You know, they play in different play. Um, obviously, they don't play in the same position. But you pay what five million, six million for him. He should hit the ground running. Um, whereas Mole pay at one point five million, you would expect not necessarily to hit the ground running. Is that the point you're trying to make? Well, that is also another point that we're trying to make as well, that you would expect your players to be a little bit more match-ready if you are paying more money for them. Or do you? That's well, the question. Are you buying potential or are you buying, you know, because if you, whenever you buy a player that's 19, 20, 21 years old, the value of the player is as much as what he can do today from the minute he signs for you as to the potential, what potential he has. That's why he may he may cost more to a player with exactly the same skills who's 33. Because because the potential for you to then improve the player um, and then you know make a killing when you sell him in two years' time, that's all part of the value. You don't just it's not it's not about what you know, it's not about him today. So it's there's potential as well. Um, so I still I'm, I still struggle this idea that because we spent thirty million pounds our squad should be should be completely amazing and um, and you know I, 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 maybe you think we should be in the top two I mean look I, they should be better than they are I don't doubt that for a minute but the fact is, is that, you know if you sell players you you sell players for a lot of money then you can afford to buy better players it doesn't mean that your net gain that you're a better team you might not be. But it's interesting I think the argument I'm going to come back to you lady in a minute. Bit, doesn't necessarily mean what I'm trying to say to you is it doesn't necessarily because you've got more money 
doesn't necessarily mean, and you spent more money, doesn't necessarily mean they're better players because they may have just cost more money, is what I'm trying to say. And maybe there's a situation where Brentford, very brilliant, absolutely brilliant at blind players at 500 grand, a million pounds, 1.25 million, and making them into 20 million pound players. If somebody comes in and says to me, you now have to pay us 6 million pounds for that player, what I'm trying to say is, does it necessarily mean that player's better than... Um, ben Rama, does that necessarily mean that, say, for example, Embuemo is a better player than Ben Rama because we paid £6 million for him? Well, not at the moment because Ben Rama's market value is £15 million. So why would you say that Buemo's better than him at the minute? He's not. His potential is possibly higher than Ben Rama's was when we bought Ben Rama. So that's why he costs more. And you would expect him to hit the ground running a bit more than Ben Rama. And, and arguably he has because Ben Rama didn't play that much in the first month or two um, Remo's pretty much starting every game now um, Valencia maybe ultimately he probably costs similar money to Ben Rama um, so maybe he's a better comparison to make with Ben Rama is he hitting the ground running as much as Ben Rama he's not no I think it depends where your markers are where where, where your kind of uh, you know your, your, your points of success and what, what you consider to be failure and, and success are I I wasn't too down in the dumps about a start to our season because I thought we played well in pretty much all the games apart from the second half at Leeds and um, and against Preston um, I thought you know the, the defeats that we'd had apart from that Birmingham City you know we should have we should have won that game and Charlton we should have got at least a point out of that game it, it hadn't been a calamitous start to the start to the season Preston was the thing that's put the cat amongst the pigeons. And I think, you know, ultimately we're struggling with filling two positions. We, we, we've, not, we've not found the, the natural 100% replacement for Sawyers yet. And we've certainly not found a 100% replacement for Morpay yet. You know, the rest, the rest of the squad or the rest of the team, it's, it, I don't think it's a, it's a, we're a million miles away from where, where we were. We're, you know, there's a couple of players that are just kind of slowly starting to evolve. I think I certainly think the goalkeeper and the, and the and the and the back the back three, the back five, the back four, whatever we're going to play, is is man for man as good as if not better than what we've had before. I think until we sort the midfield conundrum out, and and you know Watkins against Derby looked, you know, every bit a, a you know a potent striker. So I just think I still honestly think, and this is not making excuses. I think we're, I think we're two chess moves away from getting it to click properly. Can I, Sorry, can I just can I flip the question quickly and say, so the argument that we spent thirty million, we should be, we should be, you know, um, we bought better players. How many of the players we bought would you have expected to hit the ground running straight away? How many of them? Which ones? Okay, okay me, me, me personally, and maybe I was over-expecting, you know, because, say for example, because he's been out for a year, but Norgard was a player that I was hoping, he's been out for a year, and I understand, I do, but I was expecting, <laughs> and I think also, um, probably Thomas Frank was, and, and I think, you know, and, and Phil Giles and, and the people, because they've actually put him in the squad, and they've expected, you know, certain things from him as well. I actually expected also, um, 
Wemo to uh, to have hit the ground running as well, just because of again expectation because of his fee. So you just thought, tell you something, this guy French, you know, really high expectations. Marseille, all these big teams are after him. He turned down and moved to Southampton um, about six or eight months ago. So you sort of think he'd cool, you know, coming down the championship, you know, he's going to really hit the ground running. I actually think he's going to be a brilliant player. So I'm still being a bit facetious, but I'm throwing out there just to create a little bit of conversation here. But I'm just, but also these are points that are being talked yeah. about by other people out there and I think we need to thrash these things out and, and realistically the players I would have expected to hit the round running was Reyes um, yep. goalkeeper and I think he has yep. Janssen um, and you know Ponas I, I, I think I, you, you can make an argument he has um, Pinnock maybe also but he's made a step up into the championship, albeit that he played in the team that got promoted. But the rest of them, I wouldn't have expected them to hit the ground running, if I'm brutally honest. And, and that's kind of why I did think it would take a little bit of time to bed in, maybe not as long as it has. Yeah, but you said that that's only, we've only had, what, seven games? Remember at the beginning of the season when we all did our predictions, so one of the reasons that I was a you know bit reserved in my own prediction of where we were going to finish was how we were going to deal with again we've we've ended up in a season where we've changed a lot of players and the last time we changed a lot of players it didn't start very well at all um, that was the season we went on when we went was it about eight games without winning a game so that was always in the back of my mind it may take us a while to get going I mean, I have to admit, and I, I must admit, I, I retracted a little bit by pulling back. Um, I was very, very, very bullish with my predictions beginning of the season. But then afterwards, when we, when we went for a late run and signed all those players at the very end, I actually said, and I've, I've got it in writing and I've got it in audio as well, and I said, actually, it looks like probably my prediction of a top six this season, um, maybe actually next season is probably more likely because of, uh, because of the, again, because of the bedding in scenario. And I think, it's, I'm not saying it's not rocket science, but I, I think it was almost a little bit of kind of disappointment. Uh, yeah, I, I think it's... So, you know, we're, we're always trying to kind of guess the guess the outcome. We're, we're never going to do it. You know, it's just like you know, the, the fact is, we're seven games in. We've had a game and a half where you know we, the, it's been pretty pretty poor. The rest of it is is what you probably would have expected. Hoped for more, obviously. Um, and I think you know, Kamamakocho is 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 the player that we need to look to at the moment to come in. We, we know what we get with him. We had, we had Camo and Sawyers that looked amazing together in, in, in that run that you know got, got our season back on track last year. And, and, and I think he had a very good African Nations Cup. I think he's, he's a player that, he's, you know, he's, I know he's quite defensive, but he, he, he's a player that we can rely on at the moment. And you, you can just feed the others in as and, as and when. And then, you know, Josh De Silva is another one that probably needs to be playing a bigger part, but only if he's on his A game. You know, we know what we can expect from him. He drive, he can drive forward. He can be really big, strong. He can, he can, he can command the, the midfield and and pro- provide that link. But you know, it, it, we're relying on these players coming in and making a difference. We we don't want other players coming in and not playing at their full potential. We we have to get our players play all of them playing nines and tens out of tens. Yeah, I mean, but we've ended up in the same situation last week. We played well in games, and we're coming away not picking up the points, and that is what's going to cost us. Um, I know before the game we spoke about Birmingham, and they didn't look Birmingham didn't look very good when they played us. 
but they got the points and they've now started to pick up results. Whereas we, you know, well, we'll feel that we regressed, but as we said earlier, it might just have been one off game. To, to simp- simplify this just a little bit, you know, is it easy to say that we've got pretty much half of our starting lineup playing nowhere near nine out of ten? They're, they're, they're playing sevens and eights. None, none of them are playing awfully, but we've, we've, they're not at their peak. They're, there's very few at their peak. No, true, but again, you've got people like Mbwemo and Norgard who are coming, who have only, you know, pretty much only just arrived, and it's only seven games into their Brentford careers. So there is, it, I, I thought it would take time, and I'm pretty sure it will take time, but I do think that they can improve. So look, Let's come back to this Brentford squad now. Like I said to you, it's a £30 million squad that we've got. We've got quite a lot of new players in there. We thought it might be really interesting seven games in to have a look at the squad, have a look at the players, to see what our thoughts are on the players, on the squad, on the positioning, maybe on the tactics, who should be in, who should be out. Um, but this a squad as a whole. I mean, we thought, let's just take the squad as this. I'm going to quickly run through the players. Raya, Canos, Pontus Janssen, Jean Vier, Dalsgaard, Norgaard, Jensen, Ben Rama, Watkins Bremo, Pinnock and Rakic as well, because they've come in, and Makocho and De Silva. Not saying the other players aren't part of the squad, but these are the players who seem to be the key players that feature, you know, in and amongst the 11 players that play. Now, first of all, like I said to you, it's a £30 million squad. Some people talk about whether or not we should be hitting the ground running or not. That's a question which is, we should probably go on and go on forever. More interesting question, we sort of kind of touched on it on Monday night as well. What would another championship boss do with this squad the Allard what do you think um, well ultimately which championship boss uh, because they've all got different ways of doing things um, I think um, I think you know I think to be honest my feeling is is that we're quite unique and I would say that probably 50-70% of championship managers wouldn't know what to do with our team um, you know I can imagine Warnock coming in and trying to get a get our team playing you know they wouldn't be able to play his way it'd just be impossible he'd have to stick Janssen up front wouldn't he because he wouldn't have anyone else to put up front um, but, but that's but, you know we laugh but that is you know, it's, it's different it's different philosophies and maybe I'm doing Warnock a, a misservice you know and maybe you know um, he, he maybe he does have another way of doing things um, Mowbray I think similar you know and you can go through a load of them that that wouldn't really I don't think know where to start with our squad they'd probably come and demand you know to be able to buy you know six over 30 over six and a half foot players in the transfer window but that's the thing because we say that can you envisage a situation where they would arrive at our club and buy the players that we've got Um, yeah and, and a lot of times they buy the players we've got and they don't know what to do with them and, you know, we you know we see it. You know, Hotter went to Burnham. They didn't really know what to do with him for a period of time. Woods at Stoke, Rarit didn't know. I mean, I think Rarit had an idea what to do with him, but but he wasn't playing to Rarit's strengths. You know, so you see that. But, but these players look great. Our club, they go to another club, and we're under the wrong manager. They get lost. Hogan's another example. He's coming down on Saturday. Yeah, absolutely. So yeah, Hogan. Um, yeah. Exactly, and and that and that kind of backs up my point. There's that there are probably some managers around in the championship um, that would know 
what to do with our squad. And, and, and I'm just interested because again, it's an interesting conversation. We're having this conversation because you look at a bit of variety. You're looking at what else, what else are people are doing out there. What are they doing with their teams? You know, if what they're doing with their teams, you know, could they do exactly the same thing with our team? I mean, throw it into the pot. Swansea manager, the, the new one. Um, yeah, I haven't seen. Yeah, I haven't seen much of Swansea play. So I, I and I don't know much about him. So I would, I couldn't give an opinion particularly on that. I think um, interesting, interesting. You know, Clotte because um, you mentioned Swansea. So yeah, Pep Clotte at Birmingham, that would be an interesting one. Um, he's seemingly performing miracles, um, and um, and he was on our radar as we know. Sorry, what, what, explain a little bit more. Why is he performing miracles? Well, Birmingham are awful, aren't they? I mean, they're, they're not a good side, and he's got them, you know, in the top half of the table. Um, but, you know, but he had a, he had an awful time at Oxford, and you know, so you know, but but but, what, but, but the same problem is what what's, what squad did he inherit? You know, no, that's, that's true. So you know, I, this is a really good this is a really good conversation. Is what what alternatives around the championship could come in and do things differently? I'm I'm going to flip it a little bit. Actually, I'm going to look inwardly rather than outwardly. You you got a hope that Kev O'Connor is all the things that Thomas Frank isn't. So if it's if it's if Thomas Frank and I and I said this earlier about how does he fire him up to go away, you'd hope that if Thomas Frank's not the one to be able to do the the saber rattling, the kind of badge kissing, the the kind of like 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 pinching them before they go out and telling them, you know, people have driven up four hundred miles to be here today reminding them of their obligations it's Kev O'Connor he wears he wears his heart on his sleeve He's, he knows what it means to be a Brentford player and go to places and, and drag out results so I think the combinations I think the right combinations there between the two of them but still it's not it's not quite happening and you know it, it, it is becoming ever increasingly frustrating but as I say you know it's much, yeah, it is frustrating but it is a new team seven games into the you know seven games into the season you know the see the the table hasn't settled down yet it's like the Arsenal fans that sit there cheering at their top of the league like you know on the morning of the first game of the season because of their their top on um alphabetical order yeah but we but you know and we do understand that Gary but the point that we'll also say about that that's a very similar conversation to saying you know, forget about XG, forget about stats, forget everything like that. It's all about the score. You know, if if, if we go like that, then you know you've lost one nil. We lost two nil against Preston. You don't talk about it anymore. You don't talk about squad. You don't talk about change. You don't talk about anything else because, of course, it hasn't done that. But but this is, th- there are parameters that you know that we can talk about now because interestingly, just because it's seven games now, what if we're in the same position in two months' time or three months' time? Yeah, absolutely. That could happen. But again, if you look at this season, how how bad have we been, really? Um, no, 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 I know what you're saying, but we're, we're having a, we're trying to have a conversation yeah, no, here. No, no, this no, is a, this is like a, we're trying to have a little interesting to, conversation. To be, bringing, yeah, uh, to be honest, we've come off a really bad performance on Saturday, and that and and I and I can you know there is an argument about how bad have we been, and I agree. Is that actually up till Saturday? I just thought it was what I expected, but Saturday was a bit weird. It just felt it was odd. Saturday, um, there was something. You know, we had that game against um, Derby, and suddenly you felt it all come together. And all right, maybe the opposition was pretty poor, but Saturday was. It wasn't just that. I mean, they're a good side, 
Preston, but it but it wasn't just that. There was something about the performance Saturday. Just, just felt odd. Just quickly, just before just Laney comes to it, just because you're talking about Saturday now, and we're talking about this thing about managers, and we're just yeah. being a bit playful here, and just quite interesting. Saturday we played Preston. Alex Neil, what if what do you think Alex Neil would do with our squads? Um, so Alex Neil, I think um, I think Alex Neil is really well equipped for the championship. We've seen him take Norwich up, um, and I think he'll get Preston into. If not the top six, or def- I'm sure they'll be. In the- I- they're going to be knocking around the top six. I'd be quite surprised if they're not. Um, and I think Alex Neil is he's going to be one of those managers that that possibly will take teams out of the Championship and then struggle in the Premier League. Because with Norwich, I don't think he lasted particularly long at Norwich when they got when they got promoted. He's um, what would he do with our team? I I'm not sure he's had the sort of players that we have in our team playing for him at either Norwich or at Preston. Um, so I, it's, a, it's a hard one. I, I honestly don't know. I, I don't think. I think if we sent our players out to play the way that Preston played um, on Saturday, which effectively is, you know, take what you can, keep it tight, um, and then be incredibly solid. See, I, I think the way we play is that we're almost thinking about attacking as we're defending, and I think, you know, whereas I, I Preston just defended, you know, I. So I don't. I'm not sure. I can't answer it. I suspect he would. He would have to make. He would have to change himself as much as he would change the way we play. Would he, would he swap some players in, maybe, or from, from off the bench, or change the formation? Yeah, he might change the formation. He might, but he might not feel he's got the right players to play the formation. But yeah, okay. So he might go four four. Well, he sort of played four three three, I think, on Saturday. Um, he was. So yeah, I mean. Yeah, he probably would change stuff around. Um, would he be Would he be successful? I I think he would have to change as much as as much as the team would have to change. I I don't think we could play the way that his Norwich and Preston teams play. Not not, not with the players that we would give to him and put to his disposal. Now, you know, going back to the the original question, really, is like I, I think I think we're right to be having these, this conversation. Is that otherwise it's like me saying, you know, I, I know I say it a lot. It's a nine month season. And it's like saying, forget about everything that happens between now and May. We'll only we'll we'll find out in May. Oh, don't worry about it. It's a nine month season. It'll be all right. You know, it is right to have these little micro um, conversations through the through the season just to just to make just to, just to kind of like um, work out what's going on. What can we be doing that's better? Where are we going wrong? In in, in and when we were, we were right to do it in the podcast last week, we said what is our expectations between this international break and the next one and we said 10 or 11 points you know Saturday should have been three of them or at least one of them um, we're, we're, we're still on zero with, with one game less so you know we, we, we are right to kind of break the season down into bite-sized chunks that's, that's what that's what these international windows are um, and you know yes it is a nine month season but we have to we have to be we have to be looking we have to be looking at you know five or six games um, little, little, little mini series during during the course of the season. Yeah, the, pro- the problem, with, the only problem with that is that if we'd have had this conversation this time last week, it would have gone very different to as it's going now. And that's what I was kind of trying to get at. So if we looked at, we'll we'll look at it. And there are some constants I can see. I'll let you know the fact that only you know seven games in, only two players have scored. That confused, you know, that is. That, don't get me wrong, that's a concern to me. 
Um, I know that Ben Rahm obviously missed the first like group of games, but it is what it is. Whereas last year we had three guys score, you know, had three guys make hitting double figures in the league. This, you know, we seven in seven games. That is a concern to me. Um, but again, that's because I see that as being a longer term, that may be a longer term problem. But as you know, sorry. Yeah. So listen, let's just come back to because we're going to go through the squad. We name the squad. Um, so just again, we're going to throw out there thoughts. I mean, should we just go player by player? Raya, Raya by Raya, Raya. Um, been very impressed with Raya. Uh, I've, I've said before, he's got Teflon gloves. He seems to be able to catch. Uh, most things stick to his gloves, which is um, great. He doesn't doesn't seem to come out and punch. Um, he, he's apart from probably. I can think of two examples where he's mistimed coming out to intercept. intercept. One, one against Leeds, uh, he came out and uh, got caught in no man's land, which could have led to a goal. Um, again, you know, you, 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 you're picking out kind of the, the, the bad things. I'll, I'll concentrate on the good things. I think he's come in and he's made a difference. I think he's he's way more consistent than Bentley was. Uh, I think uh, I think overall a big plus. Yeah, he, he he seems to have an air of calm about him, and his distribution's really good. And um, and my, the points I'm making are both revert back to what I was saying a bit earlier: is that is that he's a goalkeeper, but what I'm saying is that he's got good distribution. You know, that's really weird, isn't it? To to, to talk about that being you know the, the strength of a goalkeeper. Um, I'm not noticing any other sort of particular issues with him. He looks fine. He doesn't give me heart attacks when he comes out for the ball or anything like that, and he distributes the ball well. Yes, I can only echo what you guys said. You know, he looks a lot more dependable than Bentley was last season. And same here as well. I think he's been very good. And like I said, you know, heart attacks. But I think there was one situation where you did notice because he is quite a short goal for a goalkeeper. And I think there's one situation for where one of the teams scored a goal where everyone said, mm, you know, if he was a bit taller, he would have got that. I don't know if it's Hull City. It was the he- header against Birmingham, probably. Oh, yeah. Maybe it was, yeah. So, I mean, but first, I think first few games of the season, there were a couple of moments where I thought, ooh, here we go. But since then, I think he's very much settled down. So, Sergi Canos, this is an interesting one as well because I know it could be Sergi Canos. Are we talk about Sergi Canos, the winger? Sergi Canos, the right wing back? Or just Sergi Canos as a whole? Just give us a little one, Sergi Canos. Sergi Canos, I think uh, he a couple of games this season. I think he's been absolutely exceptional. Uh, I, I, I do love him at, in that sort of right wing back position. Uh, I think we are right to kind of try and persevere with him. Then we have to we have to sort of shuffle it up a bit. Otherwise, it's just too predictable. And you know, people said on on Saturday that they were trying to they were trying to sort of like identify him as a bit of a weakness. But he, he is he's contagious. I think I think if he's got the whole pitch in front of him, is there are few more entertaining players in this division. Um, yep, um, as right wing back. He's, he was particularly good against Derby. He was actually he was exceptional. Uh, when he plays further up the pitch, he needs to score goals. Uh, is, you know, we, we we need to be a team, or we should be a team, where we score goals around the team, and the front three should all be scoring goals. So when he plays in that front three, he needs to score goals. Yeah, I can only echo. I've seen what I've seen is a lot of good crosses coming in, which we you know. A lot we haven't been able to take um, advantage of, but again, I have seen scuffed shots and the one he was at Charlton, the one he wasn't able to put in. We need him to be scoring those. 
it's that as well and it just thinks just delivering and, and being a little bit more consistent the guys have talked about that before you know the times when you say Canos oh he's not been in this game then 70 minutes bang he just picks himself up we just need a little bit more of a, a 90 minute Canos um, Pontus Janssen right so this is the interesting one because Pontus was the big signing and this is the big change and yeah our defence 100% is much tighter since he's been in there is, is it a result of him or is it just a result of Brentford as a whole yeah, no, I think he has had a big um, influence. And as you said, we do look a lot tighter, which had to happen after last year, the amount of times we were going three goals down or considering three goals at Loftus Road. And, you know, that nonsense has to cut out. Again, there were issues at Preston. But, again, I think, I'm hoping that that was just a one-off. Yeah, Lard, I know that you've mentioned your slight concerns with him and the, and the three at the back, again, just briefly. Yeah, I, I think... You can make a quick argument that he's been he's been involved in part of the cock-ups for the last three goals in various different manners, pass, header, and just wandering around not marking. Um, I think that I, I'm not sure this system suits him. He, I think he needs to be more involved in the game. And I think I think if we went if we played four at the back and he was one or two centre backs, I think he'd have to be more involved. I, I sometimes think he strolls through as a centre back. So far, so good. I think with Pontus, I think. Uh, He's a, he is a natural leader. He's a leader that we need. And uh, I think, you know, again, I, I can't think of many negatives. Okay, yeah, you're right. You know, maybe the pass at Charlton, played, he was played into trouble, um, caught out of position. You, you're probably right to highlight he needs to be more involved. Maybe he needs to zip up his passing a little bit more. But, yeah, I, I, I think he's the player that Brentford needs to, to push on. Dalsgaard, I just want to say briefly, I think Dalsgaard's been a bit of a revelation this season. Or this season, he's here. There's times when he had detractors and he was playing, and you weren't quite sure what was going on with him. But this season now, I think he's really settled down, and uh, I've got to tip the hat. Yeah, absolutely. And I think you're seeing, you know, he, he's a very good player. He wouldn't have played in the World Cup for Denmark if he wasn't. But we've seen. I think we're seeing what's happened when he's actually had a break. And he's come back and he's looked fresh as opposed to how he was last season. Uh, this system suits him playing three at the back. When he plays as wing back, we can use him as an outlet from the goalkeeper. Also, he can play in one of the three. I think my concern is if we go back to 4-4-2 and he plays at right back and we still use him as an outlet from the goalkeeper, everyone will say he's out of position as they were this time last year. I can't say anything different to that. That's exactly what I was going to say. To playing, playing on the right of a three... At the back, it absolutely suits him down to the ground. Uh, with Canos there as well, pushing forward, it, 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 he can fill in there. Um, you, uh, the Allards right, we were we were balling a year ago, where when Bentley was pumping the ball out to him to, to trying to win a header on the halfway line, he, he was getting out out muscled or he didn't quite make it, and then all of a sudden there was a huge gap where he should have been, and he was getting blamed for not being there. And that I think that was that was a little bit harsh. I think I think he's a hugely experienced, hugely. Uh, hugely talented player and you know we need to sign him up so we're going to double up now because we need to get through these players as well so I'm, I'm going Norgard and Jensen at the same time so we've got this little midfield oh, dynamos that we've uh, just pulled in this season the Nordic duo yep uh, I think potentially obviously the word potentially is is kind of key to this they could be 
the best players that have played for us for a long, long time, or they could equally be swapped out for for Camo and um, De Silva, as, as we as we talk, as we talked about. We have to have options. We have to rotate. Um, I want I want to see more from the pair of them. I want to see them make those two positions. It, it's without question that they are the first two names on the on the list. They're not there yet. I think they're. I think they both struggle a bit in a two-man midfield, um, especially when you play them together. I think they need. To, I think both of them would suit a three-man midfield much more. Norgard as a holding midfielder. Uh, that's what we saw a little bit in pre-season when he dropped back in in between the centre backs, and Jensen therefore pushed a little bit further up the pitch to the position you could say Sawyer's was playing in before we went into the. Um, three four three, so a bit further up the field and let him orchestrate everything a bit more, a bit like Pritchard used to. Yeah, so um, we've seen in fits and spurts with these two guys, but I think because you know they've come with quite big reputations, and we haven't quite seen that from them yet. Got to put the two wingers together as well, Ben Rama and Buemo as well. I say that because Ben Ryan has only played a few games for us this season, but he's obviously a very, very important player. Yeah, persevere, um, absolutely. Yeah, he's going to be he's going to be a big player. You know, um, France don't invite idiots into their under 21s team. Uh, Talk about Embuemo, by the way. Yeah. Well, yeah, or well, just in general. <laughs> um, yeah. So yeah, Embuemo, he's 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 a big he's going to be a big player in the future he, he's someone that's probably going to go on and play at the very top level I would say um, so persevere with him for sure he's 19 or 20 he's got a huge 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 future in the game Ben Rama we saw in in glimpses well more than glimpses last season that he's an exceptional talent he's a little bit off the pace he's getting there he did 90 minutes on Saturday and um, I, th- I think that we, we're going to have to rely on him. He, he, there's pressure on him. He, he, he's here for at least until January. He needs to live up to his price tag and he needs to start delivering goals again and service. Uh, you know, I, I, I've, got, I've, got no, I've got no qualms. I, again, we, he, we rely on those two an awful lot and I think in the next few weeks we're going we're gonna to see some absolute, some worldies come out of them too. Um, yeah, at least uh, Bremo scored scored a goal, so you know that's more than any of the other attacking midfielders. So fair play to him. Uh, yeah, big price tag, and maybe people expect him to hit the ground running a bit more. But you know he's a kid, isn't he? You know he's he's just playing for the French under 21s now, as we've said. Uh, so I I just expect him to get stronger and stronger as the season progresses. Uh, ben Rama. Sort of went. I thought he went a bit backwards on Saturday compared to where he was in the Derby game, where I thought he was starting to get back to his best. I think he just got sort of basically, you know, blocked out of the game on Saturday. Uh, so yeah, I, still a lot to do uh, this season to get back to where he was last season. And, and interesting you say that because our, our PNA mate, remember I, I told you he spoke to the Whisker, Bill Whisker, who uh, he, Alex Neal did a press conference afterwards and he said how um, he played the game where basically he allowed Brentford to put the ball out of the wings, let's do what you wanted out there and they just concentrated and they're sort of keeping their positions and keeping, keeping themselves tight in the middle because they basically felt that we weren't going to do anything with it in the middle so they kind of let us get on with it which is quite quite you know which is quite interesting there as well when you you know when you talk about you know Ben Rama and obviously him uh, so you're saying basically you're saying that Ollie Watkins is no threat <laughs> you know so anyway we move on from that Ben Rama 
Um, yeah, so Ben Rama, very much. I'd have to say for me, I mean, Ben Rama, we know about Ben Rama, and if he can get back to what he was last season, it'd be great. But um, Bremo, like I said to you, I get big expectations from him initially. Again, he's off the boil, but you can see game on game, he's a good player, he's a big player, he's a strong player, and I think he's an exciting player, and I think he's going to be a massively key player for Brentford, and I think it's quite exciting that we got him in the side. And of course, we throw him into the conversation because he paid six million pounds, and people got a question of that six million pounds. But I've got no doubt that Buemo is going to be um, well and truly right up there with the bees. Um, a couple of other players as well. We're going to go into the centre back because this actually affects the the well the the, the 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 setup that we have at Brentford as well. You know, as we say, we're talking about three at the back. We're talking about four at the back. We've got Pinnock, who came to the club uh, in very high regard he was the first defender that we signed as well if I remember rightly yeah he was the first defender that we signed and you know we said we we signed this big tall defender Um, he was in the league one team of the year last season fantastic he's going to help show us defence and so Pinnock's in there he got injured and now he hasn't featured as part of our back three um, not in the last few games anyway and obviously we've got Rakic as well who comes in and out we've forgotten about Lockwood as well is the other one in there. Well, I've got, yeah, Rockwood will come in. We'll talk about Rockwood in a minute. Yeah. Let's talk about Pinnock and Rakic. Yeah, I mean, I, I, I'm going to have to do a bit of the sit on the old fence on this one. I, I don't think... So it's not Rockwood, it's Yearwood as well. But anyway, we'll come back to that. Oh, sorry, yeah, Yearwood. Um, I just, I, I've just not seen enough of him to, to kind of make, make any judgment yet at, at all, I'd say. So I, I'm going to have to do the old shrug of the shoulders. Uh, Pinnock, uh, strong in the air. Um, I noticed that in a couple of the games. Uh, maybe we'll have to see whether the three at the back thing suits him. He's, I think he's sort of left-footed. Or he's, he's reasonable with his left. Um, so yeah, still need to see a bit more from him. To be honest, I, I can't. I can't really. I can't make a judgment on him at the moment. Uh, Rakic, uh, we kind of know what he does. Uh, he hasn't. I, I kind of thought he might step forwards and say, right, I am going to play in this back three, and he hasn't done it yet so far this season. So we'll see. No, I'd agree with these two. I mean, to be honest, they've come in and they've looked. They have looked good. They've they've looked okay. Again, that might be because you've got um, Jansen kind of bringing in, you know, being the experienced head with the young, you know, with the young and less experienced guys. But you know, similar. I think that I kind of agree with Matt. I tend to think that we might need to go to um, two at the back, and that might mean that. One of those, at least one of those two, isn't going to get a lot of game time. Um, did, did we talk about wreckage at all? Did you? Yeah, yeah a little bit of wreckage. So listen, just finally, we're going to just go into the midfield. Macocho to Silva, and we'll throw in a little bit about Yearwood. I mean, there's only so much we can throw because he's been playing much more B team teams. He's only actually played one game for us, really, which is the Cambridge game, but he was signed up, and he is probably one of the old school Brentford signings where, you know, he, he, he buy a player for £500,000, and then hopefully over a year or two they end up becoming £20 million players. But um, let's talk about the midfield three here Macocho to Silva, and to a certain extent, Yearwood. Yeah, you know, I've said I've said what I think of Makocho already. To be honest with you, I think I think he's he's someone that that understand. He he's got a year under his belt already. He he, he knows what's required. He's played he's played in the he's played in one of the better better teams, and it's it's just the fact that he he need. I, I think we need him to. We need him more than ever at the moment. 
and, I, and I'm, I'm just he when I I wrote some um, notes for the, the the Preston fanzine on Saturday, and I actually put Boccaccio down as instead of Jensen, and and I and I think that that was probably you know we looked better when when Boccaccio came on, and I, and I I'd like to see him start on Saturday. Yeah, if we stick with the current system, Mokocho's essential, I think. He was almost essential to make it work last season, so there's no reason why he shouldn't be essential to make it work this season. We need his legs, we need his energy. Um, that's it, yeah. Yeah, as so I can only agree with what Dave said. Um, against Charlton, we didn't look like we were going anywhere until he came on. Um, last The games, you know, we've looked our best this season when Mokocho has been playing. Uh, De Silva, we haven't, for me, we've not, I, I'm still yet to see a big performance from De Silva in a game where I've gone, this is, this guy, he can do it. And, I, you know, I, I think we need him to come in and try and stamp his name on that first yeah. team, and he just hasn't done it yet. This, this is kind of what I was alluding to just a little bit earlier when I said, you know, we need players to be doing their nines out of tens and tens out of tens. I just think, I just feel like there's a lot of players there that are hugely, poten- you know, got huge potential, but they're kind of like, playing slightly within themselves in a system where you kind of you're, you're almost be encouraged to play without you know outside yourself this is this is a kind of like a one of the most proactive kind of expansive systems or kind of environments you can be expected to play in and to be playing within yourself on the football pitch I don't know what they do in training obviously they're, they're you know they're, they're all uh, incredible but you know, on a, on a Saturday, they just go out there and express yourself, and you know we we saw that more this more last season than we have done this season so far. So it's just like getting to that place where they feel confident um, and they, they they feel at home enough to go out there and express themselves in, in to their to the best potential. Just, we're just not seeing it yet. Makocho for me, I love Makocho. I'm a bit nervous that he's not signing a new contract. His contract expires at the end of. Uh, well, in the summer, so which means to me that you know we've got a few months, and maybe he might be out by January because obviously Brentford like to recoup some sort of money from their players. De Silva, again, like Matt says, something there, and you, 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 he's playing games, which I think is the good thing, and he's playing competitive games, and eventually I think he's probably going to come off the bench and do something, and he might actually lodge himself into the side. But the player that actually excites me, which is one that no one's talking about, is Drew Yearwood. And I don't know why. I don't know. I don't know why it is. They they put him out the pitch there, then they left him off, and he's playing games, B team games, or whatever. And he only costs five hundred grand, so the the the, the 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 pressure isn't there as much. But I mean, it's interesting because I was chatting to to Chris Powell, um, the old ex Charlton manager, the other day as well, congratulating him getting his England coaching job. And obviously, he signed Yearwood to to Southend. And when Brentford played Cambridge, he came down to Brentford to have a little look at Yearwood to see how he played. And he saw it. Obviously, we lost that game and he got taken off after a certain amount of minutes. But he really rates him. He thinks he's a really, really, really good player. So he knows that there's something in there and he can spot a player as well. So I just think that we've got something there. And I really like the fact that he's below the radar so he can go off and do his thing. And I think that something's going to happen where we're going to be looking at all these players and all of a sudden he's going to pop up six or eight months later, eight months later actually probably come in out of the blue because somebody gets injured and actually maybe he makes the mark and does the thing that we're, that we're, that we're expecting or waiting for. Yeah, I've, I've heard good stuff about him from a friend who's a South End support, but he said he said he was really good, I, I assume under Powell, and then he got a bit lost um, when Powell left, as from what I understand. So 
yeah, let's let's keep our fingers crossed. He he looked okay to me in that game as well when he played in the cup game. I I quite like the look of him. We'll, we'll see what happens with him, but you know, um, Rico Henry is, is one for me. That I, I think Rico's probably one of the most impressive performers of the season so far. I think you know keeping him fit is so oh, yeah. so important to us. And you know, there seems to be little little competition for him at the club still at the moment. So you know, with with, with him not available, I, I dread to think what happens in that position. I, he Preston targeted him on on Saturday. Um, they hit a lot of long balls out wide um, and targeted him in the air, and he and he struggled a bit with that. And I talk about a lot of players that will be more suited to going four at the back. I don't think Rico would be. I think he'd be under even more pressure because I think what would happen if we go to four at the back is that centre-forwards for other teams would drift out to where Rico is and you know the centre-backs would either have to take a punt and go with them or they'd have to leave Rico to join them. Uh, so, yeah, swings and roundabouts. But he's look, going forwards and everything, he's been absolutely brilliant. Yeah, John Vier, I'm going to ask about John Vier as well because we've been talking about our defence a lot, and it's really important to get these find out how they fit into the the jigsaw. Yeah, so again, he's I think he's benefited from having um, Janssen alongside him. Obviously, he had that little period where he's been out, but um, you know, from what I'm seeing, yeah, he's kicked on from where he was last season. I'd be tempted to to you see what I'd be tempted to do is move him into the middle and push. Um, Janssen into one of the forward two centre-backs you know, and play him as... Because I just think Janssen needs to be more involved. Um, and Jean Vier played in the middle as the, the, you know, the middle of the, the three last season and was, and was perfectly good doing that. I, I think that might be another tactical change you can make. We won't make that because we, bought, we spent six or seven million on Janssen and that means he has to play in the pivotal position rather than in you know, one of the two other centre-back positions. But I... I'd be tempted to give that a go as well. I can say last but not least, we're going to have to talk about our centre forwards. I'm going to say he's the key player, but he's a very important player. Ollie Watkins. Yeah, it's all about Ollie. Um, he's got no choice anymore. He's, uh, he's uh, you know, the, the selection is that he's, he's the number nine. Uh, he is the centre forward. He is the goal getter. Um, so far, so good with Ollie. Um, is easy to mark out the game, I think, away from home. I think at home we're going to create enough chances that he'll, he'll get enough to snaffle a, you know, a goal-scoring chance or two per match. So, you know, I, I expect him to be knocking on the 20 goals a season door this season. But he's gonna, it's going to be a hard, hard slog for him this year. So good luck, Ollie. We, we are relying on you until at least January. Yeah, so my, you know, what we have seen is that although we lost um, Neil, um, Oli has taken it, Oli has gone into that slot, is slotted in and is scoring goals. My only concern is that we lose his creativity in other places on the field. I agree, actually, because I talk about a front three that can score goals and he's very, very strong coming in from out wide and shooting. So I think we're missing that as much as we've, you know, have we we gained anything from him going in the middle? Ultimately, someone's got to do that job for us and we need him to do two things. We need him to score goals. We need him to be 
to bring the other players in. I, I when I watch Liverpool, I look at Firmino, who is not the star. He's the centre forward, but he's not the star. You've got Salah and Mane; they're the stars. He he does the dog, you know, he does the dog work, and and I'll, you know, if Oli doesn't do that dog work, it means that there's less chance of the wider players scoring goals essentially you know because he creates could create the space for him etc etc so it's not just about him scoring goals I don't I'm still not convinced he's particularly suited to it however of all the players we've got at the club he's the most suited to it so he will carry on in that role for the foreseeable future uh, he's you know he's, he is scoring goals so I, you can't criticize him too much and he, and he needs some support as much as he needs to support the other two players in the front three as well right so that's a little run through bit of a long section that but listen we thought it's, we need to talk about the team and it's good to thrash through the team just one last thought as well because obviously we've got a set we've got a set selection of players players that we normally chosen by Thomas Frank I mean you've talked this before but in reality just if you were Thomas Frank where would you go with that team do you think um, I think I've got two choices I can stick with what I've got or I can flip it just as he did last season when he was going for a sticky spell and I can try something else and see whether that will bring the best out of two or three players that at the moment haven't settled into our system um, and by flipping it you know that means go 4-3-3 the other option is is to stick with what we got um, and and we just have to execute it better but I'm just saying who would you bring in what would you do oh, what would so, you so, okay so if, if I was Thomas Frank I would try um, I would try going uh, 4-3-3. I would have Janssen and one other centre-back, probably Jean Vier for the, for the minute. That's Dalsgaard then at right-back, although I've already said about his limitations when he gets forward, if he's pushing forwards out of position. Rico Henry at left-back, I've already talked about his limitations, so it's not perfect. Norsgaard is holding midfielder. Um, Jensen and Makocho in front of them, and then your front three, um, you go Watkins, um, Wemo and Ben Rama. And, and Canos is on. Is your is your guy coming off the bench? I don't. I don't see how he can change it too much. If I, if I'm brutally honest, I, at home I can't see any problems whatsoever. We just need we need to um, hope that the players, the, most, the more influential players, get back to where we need them to be. Um, and away from home, there's clearly an issue. And 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 I, and I say without complicating it is just to play with the same intensity and the sense of adventure that you do at home and you hope that hope that's enough there might be a might be a few high scoring games there but uh, you know you've got a home team that's on, with their tails up and you've got an away team with their tails up you know you're probably going to get a, a, quite a few two alls and some three twos either way um, I'm, I'm happy with that away from home. What I'm really not happy away from home is to pick the same team and to play completely different energy. You know, we, we, we like the, the the two games, the you know the derby game and the Preston game. You know, you got the same you got the same players that are looking like world beaters or you know players that are playing with all the you know freedom in the world, and you've got players that just did nothing for 90 minutes. So it's, it's consistency, and I, you know, again we go back to that time. You know, is it going to take another couple of games into this international window, into this, um, you know, league window before we, we see the see the best of our players? Again, I, I, I can do without every home game becoming a pressure cooker because we see what happens. We're, we're always a, a defeat away from the world come trump tumbling down and, you know, toxic social media. So we, we, we need some consistency. Yeah, I mean, my main concern is the goal situation, which 
as, as I mentioned earlier, I'm worried about. Um, if you look at, I mean, take it, we've scored, what, six? And three of them were in a spell against Derby in one game. You know, we're, there have been too many Brentford nils this season. Um, personally, I think we need to be a bit more adaptable. And the, um, you know, three at the back and four at the back probably need to be, I think we need to be better. We need to know when to use those si- systems. And once we get that, I think we'll be okay. And I've said it before at, at the Pinnock, so to me, that they're going to change between three and four at the back, and we haven't seen it as yet. I'll be really interested to to see us go with the Allard's formation, as he said there, because obviously Norgard is excited about, but he hasn't quite done it, you know. But I also love Bacocho, so seeing him in the midfield doing what he does, which we've seen him to do. We also, like I said to you, this lacking an energy thing, you know, and it's like particular type of players that we need in there to just kind of keep them fired up, free up the front. And I just, I think it'd be quite interesting. Maybe we just need to be a little bit, maybe we got a little bit cautious because we were losing so many games beforehand so we've gone at the five and we stuck with this kind of work and now we're stuck in this cautious mode and maybe we need to be just a little bit braver at times and say actually we're good enough to do this you know we've got Pontus Janssen we're good enough to do this we've got the good players and let's just go for it so maybe we need to just be a little bit more flexible but good conversation here about Brentford about the squad about the future listen we've thrown it out there into the pot it'll be interesting to hear your thoughts tweet us you know email us you know um Facebook us, just yeah, what, just whatever. No answers there. It's just we're just chewing the fat. Always chewing the fat. But listen, we need to go on and look forward to Saturday because on Saturday we've got a game coming up. We're playing Stoke City, and Stoke City haven't been doing particularly well. We thought we can we can muse about Stoke a little bit later, but before we do that, we're going to listen to somebody who knows everything about Stoke, Ben Rowley, from the YYY Files. He knows everything about Stoke, and he's going to give us the lowdown right now. Hey up, Brentford fans. My name's Ben Rowley. I'm from Longton in Stoke-on-Trent, and I'm a weary Stoke fan. I've been asked to preview our game this weekend based on what I've seen so far this season. What I've seen so far has been horrendous, just the one point in the league so far. Uh, We've not been playing awfully as a team, to be fair, and some of our performances have been encouraging. However, individuals, especially senior names, have let us down terribly at times. We've been very unlucky in periods, but we've hardly made our own luck either. Nathan Jones, he's taken on a massive job considering how well he did at Luton, and he's made a lot of changes behind the scenes at Stoke. He's forever revamping the way the club is run. Uh, There's been changes on the pitch too, and we've been controlling the ball a lot more in games, making good chances. However, we've been letting in almost every shot that comes our way and our defence is in absolute pieces. Jones has made some weird decisions, he's said some weird things in the press and more and more Stoke fans are losing their patience with him and that number's increasing game by game. I'm not one of them just yet and I think it's not working for him at the moment just because Stoke have been bad for almost four years now under four different managers. The problems we have are just deep-rooted and they don't sit with the manager on his own. There's a massive culture change underway at Stoke and these things do take time. The question is, are these changes going to provide the results we want and in the time frame we want them? I guess only time will tell. Uh, I've been asked to talk about Ryan Woods, who was a Brentford player, of course, we bought him last summer and he was seen as a brilliant addition to bolster our already good team at Stoke. Uh, Initially, under Gary Rowett, he looked absolutely sensational. He was exactly what our midfield needed. 
then the negative atmosphere around the club festered within Woods and his influence dropped game by game. And by the time Nathan Jones came in, he was dropped almost completely from the team and they only started to make an impact for Nathan Jones this season. Uh, and even then, the squad's been heavily rotated under Jones and Woods is a casualty of that. It's unlikely that Woods will get game time in the foreseeable future, mainly due to the reinduction of Badu and Dai, who we'll talk about just in a bit. Uh, but things can change very quickly at Stoke. Should Stoke have bought Woods? Yeah, I think it's made complete sense, definitely at the time. And he could be still a pivotal player for us, uh, considering he's not that old a player. But should Woods have left Brentford? Long story short, probably not, no. Um, who I rate at Stoke and who I don't. Uh, Sam Klukas has looked to be one of our most consistent performers this season and he's becoming a really important box-to-box midfielder. Uh, Lee Gregory has been leading the line up front reasonably well, albeit not scoring goals, but it's Badu and I who made his first appearance for Stoke in almost a year last time out and looked sensational in a 10-man Stoke team. And he's definitely my one to watch for this one. He's been helping our midfield just tick over, recovering the ball... And I expect to see a lot more from him this season. Uh, But it's the likes of Joe Allen, who's ironically banned for this game after taking us down to 10 men in the last one out. Uh, Jack Butland and the entirety of our defence has been hugely underperforming. Uh, All I'll say is, Brentford, if you get a chance to score, you'll probably take it. Because Stoke's defence have been absolutely woeful. Uh, last time out at Brentford, it was Nathan Jones' first game in charge of Stoke. Uh, it was a comprehensive defeat and not an awful lot has changed on the pitch since. You can expect a new look Stoke with new players, but that's not saying you'll see them play any differently. Jones will do anything to win this game, as he's been doing for all of the games so far this season. But how he goes about that changes every time we play, so it's impossible to tell how we'll play this season and how we'll play against you specifically. Uh, In terms of a score prediction, my head suggests goals, but my heart says I can't have Stoke losing again. I'm going to go with a 2-2 and hopefully more respectable performance than last time we were at Griffin Park. Uh, A nice sign up at Griffin Park, as I believe this is your last season there. I just hope that we can put ourselves in a better light than we did last time out and that we have done this season. So there's my preview. Thank you very much for listening to a worn out Stoke fan and best luck for Saturday. Ben Rowley from the YYY Files. Stoke City fan. He wasn't particularly happy. And I know as well, Ben, I know him really well. Good, good, good bloke. And he's really, 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 really up for Stoke this season. He actually wrote a prediction beginning of the season of the old Besotted Predictions, Besotted.com. Check him out. And he said, Stoke City, if I remember rightly, bang, second. Second, he said, because no one predicted first. And he said, right, we're going to go right in there. And um, This season or last season? This season, yeah. No, no, he just he said, we're going to turn around everything. And now, listen, I like this one. Listen, don't forget, we were all really, really jumping upon it. We were really, you know, we, we predicted fourth and third and fifth and all sorts of stuff, you know, because at the beginning of the season, you do get really, really excitable. And also... The one person that he really loves is Nathan Jones as well, because he thought Nathan Jones is the one. Nathan Jones is the person that can turn the club around. And I think there's probably a bit of disappointment that Nathan has had a bigger job on his hands than he thinks so. The Allard, thoughts? Um, Nathan Jones has got a massive job, hasn't he? Because that club has been had a succession of managers that probably don't play the... haven't necessarily um, pl- had or 
um, got teams or players in to play the sort of football that you know Nathan Jones is known for, which is um, quite exciting attacking football that we saw at, you know when he was manager at Luton. So a massive job, uh, and I, it's not going any different to how I expected it. I, I thought whoever gets this job after Rowett, if they're going to try and change the club, they're going to need an enormous amount of time to do it. Uh, whether whether he's proved enough that he should be allowed to carry on, um, I. You know, I think I think look, you've. I think the people that employed Nathan Jones at Stoke, they have got the manager that they employed, and he was going to have to make a lot of changes, and and I think he's still going through that. But you, time is time is an absolute luxury in Championship football, so he's probably you know he he could be just one or two more results away from being in a lot of trouble. But well, hopefully it's one, and that one that one's on Saturday. I mean, I, you know, I'm on I, like. 98% of the fans that are listening to this I really couldn't give a stuff about what happens at Stoke City um, but you've got to realise that they are going to be hurting massively as fans, you've got to feel sorry for the fans obviously uh, to, to not have won a game yet is after coming down from the Prem two seasons ago or a season and a bit ago, it's a massive fall from grace and I and I have to say that they're probably they are due a win. So I I, I do I do kind of say this with a, a great deal of trepidation that we have to go out there on Saturday and we have to rub their noses in it. We we have to cu- come on the front foot from the start and and blitz them. And and, and I think there's more there's more worry ahead for Stoke fans. I'm just. I mean, you're talking about, you know, no wins this season, but more 27 games um, for... Uh, because his first game, don't forget, was at Griffin Park as well. So, Nathan Jones, 27 games, three wins. And if you look on the Stoke forums as well, I mean, he's getting a, he's getting a lot of grief as well. You know, how the hell can anyone defend that record? People are saying, no excuses about bad luck. You know, uh, wake up, wake up. You know, interestingly, fans are actually calling for uh, Pulis. Well, Pulis, well, no, Pulis, no, it's not, it's not, it's not that bad actually. <laughs> no, um, Pulis to come back to Stoke, which is, which is a really, yeah, yeah, which is really, which is a really interesting call. I actually listened to the Wizards of Drivel pod as well, Dave Coley Shaw, even though he wasn't on the pod today, but he did, uh, he did tweet in. But um, yeah, the Wizards of Drivel pod as well, uh, chums of, uh, of the Beside as well, and I have to say, listening to that podcast actually made our post match podcast after Preston sound like you know kind of sort of like you know last night at the Apollo you know what I'm saying it's a comedy show it made it sound like all risen because they were like really on a proper downer um, just on the way that the club has the fact they hadn't won the fact they actually thought they played really well or not really pretty well on Saturday but didn't get a result you know um, they did actually point out a couple of players which they said was uh, going to be interesting Lee Gregory who they said you know in the midfield is uh, he's played really well you know picked up the ball you know controlling that um, as well and also Klukas as well which we all know about you know um, is a player out there but they're just they're on a real downer because it's the really interesting thing about that is that for them it sounded very Brentford they're talking about XG the fact that they've created all these chances the fact that they're doing really you know looking they're doing really well but not putting the chances away and making really terrible mistakes and they said the defense at the moment now is really awful if you look at you know what Stoke are all about what are they good at defending set pieces and nicking the ball off the opposition that's that they're good at what are they not good at 
finishing scoring chances, defending against skillful players, avoiding errors, you know, defending against attacks down the wings, defending against long shots, defending against through ball attacks, protecting the lead. So they've got loads and loads of weaknesses. Um, they play, yeah, they play with whip. They're not very aggressive. They attack down the right, you know. Um, the opponents always play aggressively against them. So if we go out there and we go at them aggressively, it could be a good day for us. But on the flip side of it, I have to just say this as well. They said that they, you know, they played well. It's not what Laney said. They played quite well, but it didn't quite come off for them. They've got Hogan up front. They said that, you know, Hogan, you know, he was all right. You know, maybe a little bit unlucky. You know, Gregory's sort of playing all right. You know, they've got Tommy into the side. Whether or not Ryan Woods is going to play or not, I don't know. Alan's not going to play because he got sent off, I think, if that's right, last week. And uh, a lot of Stoke fans aren't very happy about him. But we, 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 I don't think this one is a given. You look at it on paper and we should be definitely 100% beating Stoke. But I don't think it's a given. We need to be on our ball against Stoke City. Well, absolutely. We've seen a um, couple of games we've lost or not won this season. Um, you know, where teams that you would probably say on paper aren't as good as Stoke. Um, for me, Stoke are. I look at Stoke and they remind me of Man United. They've they're just. You could go on about managers and that, but there's a rotten core in the club. Um, something's eroded since their Premier League days, and that's why they're in the situation they are at the moment. But again, as Dave said, they're you know they're an opponent, and we've really got to. You know, we've we've got to see a reaction to last week's game at Preston. You know, and we have it, to me. It's a game we really have to win. We're not. We're still in the situation of only three away wins. We need to start by building up our points and our goals at home, and then I'm sure the away form will come, and we can start it on Saturday. Yeah, the, the good news is that in the audio it said that um, that Nathan Jones he basically changes every single game he changes uh, the way they play which would suggest he doesn't know actually what his best system or team is so just hope he doesn't find that on Saturday you know it 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 looks like a long shot that they're that they're going to get anything out of Saturday but it's bloody football isn't it and it is and, and again that's what the Wizards said they said very much so they don't know what his first team is he really does rotate his team a lot to the stage that they actually don't they just they've got <coughs> they've got that <coughs> No idea. So, again, that's a bonus for us because at least we know, and I was just going to come round to this for us, what do you think the team should be for Brentford? Because we've got no idea. We can't predict, you know. Ryan Woods might pop out out of the blue for Stoke City where he hasn't, he has, he's hardly paid for them all season. But, you know, they say maybe not. But for Brentford, what do you think we should do on Saturday? Do, should we go again? Same team that we had before that did not quite do what it should have done at Preston? Or should we flip it up, Laney? Yeah, flip it up, but not massively. I think I think Makocho needs to come in absolutely. In place of, in place of, probably in place of Jensen or Norgard. But one, 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 I, I, well, either or, probably probably Norgard. I'd say. Um, uh, it, that, yeah, it's a, that's a toughie. Um, but. There's probably little else we can do anywhere else. If, I, if I'm honest with you, I don't, I'm not. I don't think we we need to f- switch formation. I think I think it's fine tuning just to see what works. It's almost like working out what doesn't work. And, you know, Makocho, we we know what he can do. He comes on, he makes a difference. Start him instead of one of the others. See if that makes a difference. 
and if it if it if it you know if it makes a bit of a difference, you keep him there, and then you you, you fine tune something else. It's about fine tuning now. We're not we're not a million miles away from being a really really good championship team. We were on Saturday. I'm happy to wipe the floor wipe the slate with that one, but let's 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 try and just find out what this missing ingredient is. And I think Makocho is a definite has to start Saturday. He played in a closed. Behind the closed doors game against Luton, I think it was yesterday we lost 1 0 to Luton and Makocho came on. I'm not sure if he played the full game, I think he might have played maybe 60 minutes or so for that. I'm, again, I'm, I, that's not confirmed that whenever he came off, but he definitely started that game against Luton. Um, we didn't win the game, but at least he's getting some minutes out and obviously they're still trying to get him more match ready. Yeah, lot. Yeah, Makocho for sure, Makocho for Norgard, and then you could go, you could go, also go. The silver for Jensen if you felt so inclined Possibly. but I, I don't really see much else is going to change on Saturday I can't see him doing both no, I, I absolutely agree I'd say maybe in the middle I'd like to see a bit I say you know we really do need I really want to see a goal threat from our midfield um, and we haven't really seen it um, with Jensen and Norgard so far so I would like to see a change in there uh, for me, I mean, I think Camo's Camo's the one. He's come back from the African Nations, um, and he and he when he fires things up, he really does fire things up. Um, Norgard has been the underperformer in the side. I'm sure he will get better, but at the moment now, maybe it might be time for him to come out for a few games, slip Camo in there, and let's just see what comes out the back of it. So, um, so we'll see. But anyway. Scores on, scores on Saturday. You want some scores on the doors? Should we do scores on the doors? Yeah, I reckon um, two one Bs. Oh God, um, I'm going to be loyal. <laughs> my heart, my heart says um, obviously three one Brentford. My head says two two. Oh, I'm just going to just make it a quick one niller just to sort of see that we've just kind of done what we need to do. I'm to Brentford. I'm going to say 2-0 to Brentford. Okay, so we're still keeping the faith here. Brentford at home, and so we should do. Listen, thanks for listening. This is the Besotted Pride of West London podcast. Give us a little bit of a thumbs up, a like on iTunes. Give us all the things that we need to. Give us a little follow on Twitter, Facebook, all these other places. We really appreciate it. Thanks very much for checking us out. Thanks for all the people that keep coming up to us and saying hello and they love the podcast and they thank you very much for, you know, just giving us your support and listening to us, you know. And uh, please do, if you want to come on there, like I said to you, just email us. Our email address is on our Twitter ID or direct um, direct DM us on Twitter and it'll be great to hear from you. Monday night... Monday, Monday night, eight till nine. First of all, Love Sport Radio. Check us out on there. We'll be there there on Monday night as well. And our iTunes, yeah, we haven't had a right iTunes review because yeah. we haven't really asked anyone to do it. Yeah, Come on, yeah. write, write a few reviews and then we'll, we'll read them out. We'll, yeah, we'll read them out. Yeah, we we'll read them all out. We'll go on there and we we'll read them all out. So go, go to iTunes, give us a review, give us a big thumbs up, and it goes up even higher and higher. So thanks very much. But other than that, really, 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 really back in the frame. Fingers crossed, if we can get a victory on Saturday, we'll be happy again because we'd be so sad this week. It's not been great. Get on with it. Get on with it, as we say. <laughs> Go on, you bees. Go on, you bees. Away days are great, but there's nothing quite like playing at home. The same goes for McDonald's. 
Maximize your home ground advantage with McDelivery. Order now on the McDonald's app. At participating restaurants, 18 plus serving times, delivery fee, and terms apply. See McDonald's.com. And there it is. That's as good as it gets on this stage. Nissan Townstar EV strikes again. It's an unstoppable van. Unstoppable! Look, just fantastic. You can actually see the Pro Pilot technology in action. Effortless parallel parking. It moves with all the confidence that comes with a five year warranty. And with a bench full of all star van experts, there's real strength in depth here. That's all star quality. Search Nissan Townstar EV and visit your local all star van centre to see for yourself. Terms and conditions apply. Five years or 100,000 miles, whichever comes first. ProPilot is an advanced driver assist technology. Driver's responsibility to stay alert, drive safely and control vehicle at all times. This podcast is proud to be part of the TalkSport Fan Network. TalkSport. Powered by fans.